Welcome to In Scripture Podcast. We're so glad to have you with us while we dive into Scripture to dissect God's Word verse by verse. Listen with us and don't forget to leave any questions or feedback as you journey with us through His Word. Welcome to In Scripture, everybody. I can't, I don't know, is excited the right word to use? This has been, <laughs> this has been long in the working and uh, a lot of conversations about this, a lot of note taking, a lot of deciding, and um, we are doing one of the first experiences for us on this podcast. We're doing a sermon review. Um, are we the first ones? No, there's a ton of people out there that do these. I would suggest that in your, you know, walk of life that you do stumble upon other sermon reviews and just to see how people do them. Um, why, why we're doing this. So we've decided to do a sermon review because we want everybody who ever hears anything from the pulpit to have proper discernment, to understand and to fully dive deep into what they're listening to. Uh, reason being is because we want ultimately what God wants us to do is to try to understand his word a lot more. So everything we hear from the pulpit, we have to take back to the word, right? So we want to, any sermon that we play, we ultimately want to hear it, understand it and see if it matches the word because there is a lot of false teaching out there. Um, And what did we pick for a sermon again? (laughs) You're one and only. (laughs) Um, We picked Stephen Furtick, a very, very well-known name. Alex's favorite preacher. Yeah, um, I picked them, but <laughs> yes, we went along with Mark's Mark's suggestion here for a sermon. The sermon is called Winded. You can go on YouTube, type in Winded Stephen Furtick, and you'll see it. Um, it's got probably like 10 billion views or something like that. <laughs> um, very, very, sermon. again, very, very high production. It comes from the Church of Elevation. So um, there's a lot going on and there's a lot for us to unpack we didn't pick and we want to make this disclaimer and we're going to make this disclaimer. I think every episode, this is not about Stephen Furtick in general. This is not about his church in general. This is about a a message that he put out using the passage he put out. And what we want to do is we want to listen to what he's saying. And just like the Bereans did, we want to take everything from the pulpit and compare it to the word. Is, is that what the word is talking about? And I think this is important to do because this is how we grow spiritually. Um, we are taught, we, we know that everything we hear from the pulpit is supposed to be growing us, supposed to be helping us understand the word better. We're, we're being taught. So this is why we're going to dive deep in and, and see if this message is doing what it's supposed to be doing. Does the preacher read the text? Does he expound on the text? Does he give application? And does he preach the gospel? Can can I give a quick side story on how and why Furtick? Um, We were actually talking about doing sermon review for quite a while now. uh, And then Alex again mentioned it during the podcast. And then one thing I was, I had this running in the back of my mind and I think like a week or two before that I looked up something Stephen Furtick related. I don't even remember exactly what it was. Oh, it was my YouTube recommended. Anyways, your, your algorithm workout yeah. plan. So anyways, the algorithm kept on reminding me and it's, I looked up something anti Stephen Furtick at that time. <laughs> and then the algorithm kept on sending me all this elevation church and all these sermons. God and, kept sending you. <laughs> <laughs> so... He's, um, he's like a Christian cardio black. 
we'll get into that. Yes. So what's it called? Um, so I was like, hey, why not Furtick? Let's yeah. do this. So before listening to the sermon, I picked the latest one, copy paste, sent it to the group. Hey guys, let's listen to this and talk about it. Yeah. And then I had no idea the context of it. I had no idea what, what I was preparing myself and my friends for. So that's kind of where we are yeah. now. And well, the reason good. there's no bias. Yeah. Good. The reason we want to stress this, like Mark just said, there's no bias. We're not here to attack Furtick because he's not going to be the only one. If this series goes well, which I think it'll be awesome to do. Um, we're going to have more and we're going to continue to use other preachers because what we want to focus on is the teaching. Um, Textual? Is it topical? Is it expository? Does it does it follow the guidelines of um, exposition? Does it have an application? Does it preach the gospel? Is Jesus in? And these are the things we're going to look into in every message. So, so just to let everybody know, this is going to be a much longer episode than normal. Yeah, normally we're right around an hour or so, but this one's probably going to go much longer. This is a mowing your lawn episode, a road trip episode. <laughs> yeah. uh, this is <laughs> it's one of those you want to save, save it for a later date. If know? you're starting it, you might want to make sure you have enough time to finish yeah. it. So again, this is our first time. We're no experts at this and um, we will we'll have a lot of uh, learning experiences as we go along. So forgive mm. us for any kind of, if we prolong a conversation that we shouldn't have, I'm sorry. And we're going to try not to focus too much on Furtick's theology. Uh, as far as, oh, what about this? What about that? It's just right. strictly, is he following the passage, things along we're the not, line? We're not here to preach a sermon on his sermon. Yeah. We're here to dissect try, what he's putting out. Try to separate the Stephen Furtick from the sermon and pretend it's somebody else, really. Yeah. We're just focused on the sermon. Part. Although I'm sure there will be overlap and we might say something that specifically geared towards him. Um, hopefully it will be more relatable than it's not, but at the same time, we're going to try not to. And don't be, don't be afraid and don't, don't just listen to us in this sermon. If you want, go on YouTube and listen to the sermon yourself. Actually, I'd recommend every single person that listens to this tries to at least listen to the sermon themselves because um, they're, it's out there, right? So really more than anything, just put in simple terms, this is a discerning discernment mm -hmm. exercise in simple terms, right? It's where you're able to uh, test the spirits and look to see exactly what is true, what is not, what is shallow, what is depth, what is false, what is somewhat falsey, mm -hmm. right? Where's Christian cardio come in? <laughs> I'll talk about it. So the structure of this is we're going to play um, probably several minutes at a time. The video, the sermon itself is about an hour long. Um, and we're going to try to take rather decent large chunks and stop and say a few things here and there. Um, just so that, because we can, honestly, we can go on for days talking about mm. this if we could but well and before Serge hits play there is about like a two or three minute introduction to this video so if you're listening the sermon doesn't start right away there's about two or three minutes where Stephen Furtick and his wife Holly Furtick are talking kind of introducing what this sermon is going to be and then he'll actually start preaching yeah so this sermon might be actually a little bit different from his normal preaching that you might just give uh, just in case you don't get that intro part because we're not going to stop right after us and we're going to actually go into the sermon mm -hmm. and the passage and then stop so um, at the same time, what he's trying to clarify is that he's not necessarily preaching to his normal congregation. This was a volunteer's night and he's trying to either spiritually motivate them or physically motivate whatever. It's a more of a motivational type sermon rather than still a, a sermon a though. It is it's a sermon. Not a, it's not a motivational yeah. message. It's a sermon. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So his target is not necessarily to- Unbelievers. Unbelievers or come, let people come to repentance uh, like he normally would on a Sunday congregation or like any pastor should. 
So just keep that in mind as to why this sermon is a little different. So it's a pre-recorded sermon, even for the church itself. This is not something that he said on a Sunday morning regularly. So mm. just to clarify that part. All right, let's get so, into it. Good. All right. Let's get into it. All right, here we go. Hello, church family. Hi, everyone. E-fam, around the world. All right, repeat after me wherever you are. In the room, in the chat, say, this is the day. This, this is, is the day. day the Lord has made. The Lord, the Lord has, has made. made. I will rejoice. I will, I will rejoice. rejoice. And be glad in it. And be glad in it. Now turn to the person Amen. on either side of you and tell them, I'm glad. I'm glad. I'm to glad. Be here. To be here. Today. Today. Look at somebody else. Say, I'm glad. I'm, I'm glad. To be here today. To be here. Put it in the chat. Today. Let us know where you're joining us from. If you're watching online as well. Oh, speaking of where are you from? West Coast. We're coming to you. Just a few weeks away from Elevation Nights 2022. Yeah. West Coast. Tell them where we're headed. Hop. Okay. We are coming to Glendale, Arizona, Las Vegas, Nevada, Sacramento, California, Eugene, Oregon, Seattle, Washington, and then Oakland, San Diego, and Los Angeles, California. I can't wait. You did good naming those. Thank it's you. Like you were reading them. Um, almost. It's going to be amazing. These nights, I can't even describe them to you. Uh, we don't just sing. I preach. Holly shares. We pray. We believe. We prophesy. We want to see you there. ElevationNights.com. You got to get your tickets right now. Join but us. today, they're only a thousand dollars. I'm glad that God <laughs> brought you into this space. Did you actually? Because I'm about to share yeah. something with you that I never intended to share. Okay, That's this true. message is something that God gave me. And I shared just a few nights ago with many of the amazing volunteers yeah. and staff at Elevation. First, let's thank God for our volunteers and staff. Amazing. We, we have no idea how blessed we are to have so many amazing people. And I got, I got emotional even talking to the room, just yeah. thinking about all the wonderful people that God uses to build this church. Yeah. So when I started my message, I said, all right, I'm not sharing this online. I'm not sharing this with anyone but God has a sense of humor <laughs> because after I preached it, I never got more messages from people. Because it was so good. Yeah, and everybody was saying, you gotta share that with the church. It was, I can't wait. And I was like, I can't share it like that because the way it came out was special. Right. And I'll never be able to do that again. Right. And then I decided I would just bring you right into that room <laughs> today. So here it is, the message I said I wouldn't share. It's amazing. And then God said, share it, and we're gonna go into it right now get ready for a word from god somebody say i'm ready i'm ready here we go matthew chapter so we want to just clarify what he said this wasn't meant to be for the congregation this was for his volunteers but he says that he did decide that he wants to share it with everybody no, so god told him to share it yeah <laughs> he's just being obedient uh quick thought what do you guys think about the whole repeat after me Nah, I don't find any significance in it. Yeah, I think it's just part of the hype to get people like in the mood. Yeah, yeah. You think there's anything wrong with it? I uh, no. can't say I it's wrong. So. Um, I mean, it is the day that the Lord has made, is it not? But the I think it's fine. I mean, we do it with our kids. Some, sometimes I find it hard when it's like you look at someone and be like, I'm glad to be here today. When in, when in your heart, you're not glad to be here today. That's just like the only thing that I would poss possibly think would positive be vibes, where that's about. <laughs> yeah. positive vibes. Fake it till you make it. Um, no, but I just, I, I don't think there's anything necessarily wrong with it. I just wanted to see like, as far as that's kind of introduction for his I sermon. Mean, yeah. Coming from the backgrounds that we're from, it's very awkward to do something like that. Yeah. Right. But I mean, for them, this is normal. Yeah. Right. So I, uh, I can't say anything's wrong with it, but you should get into it. 
Yeah. yeah. I do want to emphasize the fact that you already mentioned that this phrase that he says, God said, or God told me, the Lord told me, he's going to repeat it several times. Mm -hmm. And I just want you guys to pay attention to the context of that. And I guess we'll, once we get there, we get there. But just pointed out, I just pay attention to those things. Okay. Chapter 14, verse 22. Matthew. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, in the last watch of the night, the King James talks about the last watch of the night, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. This is irrational because I don't care if it is you, Jesus. It's weird that you're walking on water. So I'm still freaked out. So before we get um, too far, he did bring up a passage, right? Matthew 14. Uh, he starts from verse 22. Always, 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 when you hear something from a pulpit of a scripture passage, please open up a Bible, open up anything you have. This is going to be one of the vital points of proper discernment is following along with uh, what is read from the pulpit. If if you're just, and this is kind of just a, a message out there, right? If, if you're just sitting and listening to a sermon and you're thinking, well, you know, the passage is up there on the screen or the passage is in, he's saying the passage, so what's the point of me holding on to it? I think everybody here would agree. You need to physically open to the passage because it's important for you to reference everything, a couple verses before it, a couple verses after it, and the verses that are focused on. I think that's very, very vital to fully understand and um, and see if 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 the message even if you are. matches. Um, I think also if we can comment so far, he starts his sermon by reading, which I think is good, mm -hmm. and he's. If you listen, pay attention to kind of the, his, he's about to say the main focus of his sermon is a certain part of it, but he's reading before that, which is also good because he's yeah. providing context. One thing that I wanted to mention specifically regarding that is this is a message that's done for the staff. We've mentioned that, but it's not something that um, he is preaching consecutively or verse by verse like he would, like a expository sermon should be on a Sunday. Right. So it's not, this might be an annual occurrence. So he's picking a passage out. So what he's actually doing is he's providing a broader context so that way people can understand what's going on. Um, kind of what you said, Alex, read before, read after, but also one thing to point is to follow along because he's, he provides commentary here in between some of the stuff he says. Yeah. Um, so it's good to figure out what's commentary and what's actual Bible. Yep. We're, we're not going to stop till this next point. So don't touch. <laughs> we're never going to get to the end. Go right. for it. Because this is pretty much the next part is the intro. So. Or the son of God. But Peter, watch this. This is the part of the story that usually gets preached about. And it's the part I'm going to preach about too. Because it's good. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. When Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water and came toward Jesus. 
But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. I'm going to give this message tonight a one-word title. I'm calling this message Winded. Winded. Ooh, wow. W-I-N-D-E-D. Help us, Holy Spirit. Penetrate through the surface. Get deep inside where you can do your work. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I know you're tired. You could be seated. Take a, take a seat. Take a rest. Y'all tired? I'm tired. Here we I go. I mean, generally in life. Are you tired? Yes. Yeah. Aren't we all? How many of y'all work out so you can have extra energy? How many of y'all work out consistently? Preach it. How many of y'all work out semi-consistently? How many of y'all are going to start in January with the workout plan and enjoy the rest of the year? That's me. I have a confession to make. All right, here's my confession. I work out a lot. I don't believe in cardio. Believe in it. I don't believe in it. I like lifting weights, heavy weights too, man. I was in there squatting big weights the other day. Proud of myself. Nobody was in there to see it but me. But I promise you, I was squatting a lot of weight the other day. Good form too, going down real deep. I can bench press pretty good. I can move some pretty good weights. Humble I'm not brag. saying I can, I can enter a competition or anything like that. I'm 42. That's and I do have a lot of right injuries there. going yeah. on, and I think I'm going to be on Celebrex for the next 17 years. The point I'm trying to make is that I like lifting heavy stuff. But when I went out to play pickleball with Elijah the other night, because he's got me on pickleball now. Y'all play pickleball? He figured out real quick how to beat me, make me run. Because no amount of biceps, triceps, tra trapezoids, what's some other muscles? None, none of it matters. Quadriceps, none of it matters when it comes to lung capacity. It's the fact of the matter is that when I got out there on the court, even though I work out, Four days a week, five days, six days a week. Sometimes I work out every day. I mean, just every day I'll get in there and do something. So why am I out of breath? Why am I huffing and puffing around this court like I weigh 820 pounds, like I'm on one of those intervention shows that you see where that person can't get out of the bed? Why am I huffing and puffing like it's my last breath? No yeah, no cardio, right. Thanks. <laughs> illustration, lady. <laughs> I, I actually laughed tonight. First time I got hecklers. <laughs> I'm out there for five minutes, and all the strength training in the world isn't doing anything for me. I'm winded. <gasps> and once he figured that out, bam, bam, bam. If he can make me move enough, I'm out. Now, I'm probably exaggerating the point, but it's kind of hilarious that I invest so much time into what I call exercise, and I got a 17-year-old wearing me out on a pickleball court. This isn't even a full tennis court. This isn't like the U.S. Open or something like that. It's pickleball. 
<laughs> How many of y'all don't even know what pickleball is? I'm out there playing pickleball, just huffing and puffing and blowing stuff down. Anyway, that's not the kind of winded that I want to talk about, but I want you to get the feel about it today. <sighs> because you came in like that, some of you. Stop it there. Go for it. I just knew everyone wanted to stop it there. Uh, yeah, so he, he says his story, right? And then he says, it's an illustration. An illustration. And then he says, that's not the kind of winded I want to talk about. What's the point of saying what? That? <laughs> the, the story is entertaining. It's, it's good. It, it interacts with the crowd. Um, I think it was a joy to listen to, mm -hmm. but it's, I don't feel like it should be part of the sermon. I think if he took that story out of the sermon completely, um, there would have been more time for the message. But there wouldn't have been such a big emphasis on. <laughs> yeah. As later He's trying on to the make sermon. the winded, like you're tired. He's yeah. trying to make a point that this is the whole theme mm -hmm. of his whole entire sermon. At least half it the will, sermon. Yeah. At least half. Um, I think sometimes it's good to bring examples from personal life. If it helps you, the user understand the meaning or not user. Sorry, I'm writing as if the I'm congregation. doing some, something for work. <laughs> the audience. <laughs> I'm, I'm in work documentation right now. For the NPCs to see the, the, <laughs> the user interface. Too much. <laughs> Understanding the, the meaning or point of the passage, but I think it's always better to try to explain from the perspective of the Bible. So if the subject in the Bible is winded because of physical exertion, then sure. Mm -hmm. But... But at the same time, like you said, he over-exaggerated the point, even to about his story. Yeah. Right. So it really makes me actually question like how true his story really is. Yeah. Now I'm not necessarily against preachers using stories in their sermon, but again, it has to the purpose of the story is either to, you know, help with a life application of a specific point that they're trying to make or have already made or to be able to describe something that you normally can't and just use a normal language. Right? Yeah. But here he is like overemphasizing this whole winded part, which I'm still confused. Is he talking about physical tiredness, spiritual tiredness, mental tiredness? And he's going to kind of flip and flop between the three or the yeah. four going out throughout his own sermon. But at the same time, <clears throat> um, he's very prideful. Well, like what he talked about himself in the beginning, and this might be more of a Steve McFurdick thing, but I think this is just a warning to when people, when any preacher starts talking about himself like that, in my opinion, is a red flag. Mm -hmm. Not necessarily that he's a heretic, but you can tell that this is probably not going to be a very in-depth kind of sermon, especially when he talks about his own achievements that nobody was there to witness. Apparently. I agree with you guys. And I did write a note for myself as well that like while personal examples are not wrong necessarily and sometimes mm -hmm. they're beneficial. I agree with you, Mark. If possible, find a biblical example. Like let's, let's keep this in the text. It doesn't even have to be from the same story, but just find an example from scripture that you can real quick use as, as a further, further, furthering your point that you're going to make in the sermon. Cause of course we're only like 10 minutes in. So there's, well, there's, he's going to elaborate of course, but I, I say, do, yeah, go ahead. I do want to say that uh, with that said, I think a positive that we're going to see here is that he does have this through line throughout his whole sermon. And I think we have all heard sermons where random examples are brought up, random things are said, pastors making jokes on stage. And you're just like, wait, what? But like, there seems to be some sort of through line again, maybe he's not super direct on delivering that message, but this whole idea of being winded, whether it's a, a goofy example of his past, whether it's the actual text that he's going to dive into, 
he does keep coming back to that. And yeah. I think that is a good thing. It's good to for an audience to have that sort of consistent structure in a sermon as opposed to jumping all over the place where they're kind of confused. What is this guy trying to teach me? So we got the topic of the sermon winded. We're still unsure exactly what he means by mm -hmm. that. And we have the passage, Matthew 14, 22 through the end of that section. Can I make a quick comment um, on what to look out for? Um, look out for when in the specific passage, how are the disciples winded, right? If that is what he's going to be talking about. A lot of the times he mentions the disciples, it's usually from physical exertion. But I think this is a very type of sermon where you grab a piece of passage and then kind of just apply almost every aspect of it to your life, but on a spiritual basis. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of what he's going to do as far as towards the congregation that's listening. The devil figured you out. He figured out if he can get you running, bam, boom, ah. Boom. That although you're really, 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 really good at Sundays. To record some of these sometimes sound effects. He's got good sound Your effects. lack of cardio. <laughs> Christian cardio. Mm -hmm. What's Christian cardio? It tells on you. You don't know? <laughs> no. You know, I never crossed my mind all the times I preached on uh, Peter getting up and walking to Jesus on the water. Because let me tell you something right now. I have given Peter uh, a thorough investigation, this incident in his life. I never, I don't know why I never thought of this, but I never really stopped to think about how tired the disciples were at the moment that Jesus finally showed up. Because it's not part of the message, dude. <laughs> um, I didn't first that of all, they yeah, wrote it's all not night. written there. By, not with any kind of motor. But secondly, and this is not quite as obvious, but I think it's worth pointing out. They just finished feeding 20,000 people. That was 5,000. 5,000 men and women and children. 20,000 is conservative. That's right. If Larry Bry was counting that, he'd call it 50,000. <laughs> he has no integrity with numbers. Every other area, I trust him, but with a number, uh uh. Cut it in half, divide it by three. That's the number when he tells you a number. I would never let him do my budget, <laughs> ever. <laughs> Love you, Skinner. When they finish this miracle, now think about how much energy this would take. First of all, there is the fact that they weren't really planning to feed 20,000 people. Imagine the mental stress of having to feed 5,000 men and women and children when you really didn't know where it was coming from to begin with. And even though what God did, I want to stay here too long because it's not the real message, but I want to, I want to bring you into the, uh, I want to bring you into the miracle honestly, because even though it was amazing what Jesus did by feeding this hungry crowd, it was still exhausting. It was exciting. We just saw the most incredible thing that Jesus did. I mean, he just kept breaking off pieces, and every time we thought we would run out, we would come back I'm to him. So deep, and he would I'm give us more, and we would take it to them and come back to him, and it was amazing. But it had to be exhausting. One Easter, we had about eight or nine worship services just at the campus where I was preaching live. 
The day after Easter, I couldn't get out of bed. The next day, I couldn't get out of bed because I, back then, before I had any good sense to no play a video so I can be around Spiritual past cardio. age 45. Christian cardio. I preached all of them live, one after another. And about Tuesday or Wednesday, when I still couldn't get my energy up, I started to feel like I wasn't honoring God because he had done such an amazing thing. We, I think we had 2,000 people give their lives to Christ that Easter. Hyping people up. And I was exhausted. I was exhausted, excited, exhausted. I was so happy what God did. I was so thankful that he let us see it. I was so amazed that I got to be a part of something of that magnitude. I mean, that was absolutely incredible. And I was absolutely exhausted. I thought it was a sin. But I was just winded. I thought I wasn't grateful. I thought, man, I should be, I should be running around giving God a Shabbat praise. I should be running around clapping my hands, all you people. I should be giving God praise for what he did. And all I want to do is just lay here because I gave everything that I had to give. And I'm winded. And it was wonderful. But I'm winded. <gasps> Because guess what? I had to preach the next Sunday and the next Sunday. And back then it was Saturday and Sunday. Any of y'all remember Saturday night church? See, y'all do that with excitement. I'm having PTSD. Ah! I'm having PTSD from running from the ball field over to the church this Saturday night. I'm trying to be a good dad, but I need to be a good pastor. And the people need a word from the Lord, but the kids need a dad on the sideline. <laughs> and I just told you everything I know about God last Saturday night, and now you want me to say something <laughs> else. That's good. I get winded. Okay, I just want him to say that. Oh. <laughs> How um, far are we in? So we're about 14 minutes. 14 minutes. Maybe eight. No, not even a quarter. Yeah, and um, Actually, the, the reason I bring that up is now we're 14 minutes into the message. Um, winded has been introduced, but a, a different definition of it where we don't clearly see that mentioned or talked about in Scripture. Um, again, it's not, a, it's not a bad thought, but when you focus on this much of the sermon on something that's not there just for the buildup, um, sometimes I, I, I would feel like that's a little bit and Honestly, I think we're still all confused. Is he talking about physical exertion, spiritual exertion, mental illness? I mean, all I'm the not, above. Yeah. It sounds like all of the above, but I feel like he's trying to hone in on one specific one, but he's just not being clear about well, it. Well, here's the problem about topical, right? Sermons where he had a topic in mind, and I think that's where he built this, the the supporting scripture around it. Yeah. around it. Would you guys agree that that's more topical? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. This is called index preaching, or our Russian way is symphonia preaching. Mm -hmm. Yeah, concordance. So he's trying to make a point to his volunteer group, and he chose this passage to pretty much say what he wanted to say. Which yes. again, I don't want to like. I don't, I don't think it's wrong necessarily what he's doing here because he is mm -hmm. like Mark, you mentioned in the beginning, the actual 
part of the sermon that he wants to emphasize is Peter walking on water. So it is good that he is bringing up what's happening before this that mm-hmm. occurs. It's good that he's kind of emphasizing what the situation is with the mm-hmm. with the disciples. And personally, I do think that it is it is a very beneficial tactic for preachers to consider the human aspect of things because that's something that for us as like seasoned believers, we read the Bible and we don't really consider that all the time because to us, we read scripture, we know it's true, we know it's a hundred percent fact. So we don't really we don't doubt those things. We don't consider those things. For a non believer though, for someone who might be a little bit weaker in their faith, they'll read a script a passage and they'll think of that. They'll consider what what it means to be a person. And the issue with what he kind of did here, although I agree with it, is I think he just took it too far. The yep. whole being exhausted. I think it's a it's a it's a viable point to bring up. It's I think it's okay. I think it's valid. I don't think he's wrong. I think he took it too far. Yeah, he said a whole lot about himself to portray a point of just being exhausted. Mm-hmm. I think he's very misleading. But yeah, I think one of the things that he's specifically talking about is burnout, um, especially burnout in ministry. And we know that is a thing, and it does happen. And I think we have a prime example of even the apostles in the early church in Acts, right? They were so busy with all these new members, they didn't have time to serve tables. So what they did was they had deacons. They selected deacons to do certain work so that way they can actually uh, delegate some of the responsibilities. So their main focus could be on teaching. Well, That's a great example he could have brought up that would both emphasize his point and help get, teach the congregation. Get this, get Burnout is too common. Winded is trendy. No, I know, but that's it's trendy. That's what he's talking about. And I think it is a good topic to talk about. One of the other things too, which I liked what he says is um, he's sharing some of his personal struggles um, where try to be a good pastor, but also a good father. And it's sad to see, but I've seen uh, talk to even um, pastor kids, pastor's kids. And their biggest complaint is my dad has time for the church but he never has time for me. Yeah. Um, so the fact that he puts an effort uh, in his relationship with his children and ha- that he points that out, that it is a struggle, I think that's real um, and yeah. it's a good Agreed. example. I think where he goes wrong is he kind of compares it to PTSD, yeah. having Saturday church yeah. or two two days of church back to back. So I, I, I think that's a little an extreme comparison to mm-hmm. call it that. Um, because PTSD is very, it's an illness, but at, besides the point. One of the things too, he brought it up. We kind of talked about reading ahead of time. He's going to be focusing a lot on the feeding of the 5,000, but he's never read it up to this point. Agreed. And he talks about how the disciples put so much effort in work when there's very little said about the work they put in when it actually says it's not, it's funny in my uh, subtitles above that section, it says Jesus feeds the 5,000, but he says the disciples feed the 5,000. It's just the different plan words, but I think he's trying to make an emphasis that the disciples are working and trying so hard on behalf of Jesus. This is why we need to have a physical Bible with us, whether it's on your phone or, or better if it's in the book, because you can see this, you're going to have to see this, right? Yeah. And the 20,000. He, he's reading into the text a lot. We can agree. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's called Jesus. I get winded. It's the worst thing in the world to have a job that you have to do when you yourself are winded. Preach. Especially when you don't want to show anybody how bad your cardiovascular conditioning really is. 
Christian cardio? Yeah. I'm confused. Winded. I said, Lord, that's a weird thing to call a message, winded. You, you know, why, <laughs> why would I call it winded? And he, he told said, me. Because in the text, it says that the wind was against the disciples. But even before the wind started blowing against their boat, they were already exhausted. Can we stop and that here? is a picture. This is this. The reason why I want to stop is I think this is kind of very crucial mm-hmm. to his sermon. Yes. Um, one of the things he, he kind of makes almost an emphasis or point where um, God's the one who told him to do this. And he's kind of protesting God. Why would I call this winded? And then he points to this passage that the wind was against the boat. And that's the whole point of the sermon. But yet every example that he's brought up of winded is from physical exhaustion has nothing to do yes. with wind. Yes, and yes, and yes. So that that's like, you know, his, his whole thing. Yeah. He was looking for a key word, right? Winded, wind. And so he found this and he's like, aha, perfect. Trendy. Mm-hmm. And then at the end, he says a wind did. Yeah. At one point. <laughs> we'll get there. Yeah, we'll, we'll get, get there. They'll keep going. This is people here in church tonight. The people who are in here tonight are people who understand what it's like to try to worship God when you're winded and work for God when you yourself. I mean, it's not like you get to just sit around all week waiting for Sunday and praying. I came out here one Sunday to preach. Oh, I'm preaching hard too. Boom, boom, boom. I'm going for it. I feel no response from the people, no love from the people. I go backstage. I'm like, God, what was the problem? Did I use the wrong text? Did I exegete it wrong? Did I dishonor you? Did I not? Do you need a response attention? from people? And the Lord said, How do you tired. preach hard? How do you preach hard? What is that? They're tired. It's an 8:30 a.m. service. They're tired. Some of them are sleeping good anyway because they're worried about their job. Some of them are sleeping good anyway because they're sleeping in a separate bed from their spouse and they don't know how to get the marriage working again. Some of them are sleeping that good anyway because they're staying up all night playing out things that in, in their life, reliving things from their past, worrying about things in their future. They are tired. And at that point, the Lord told me that I would need to stand up in my pulpit every week. And no matter how winded I was for my own life, Hype moment. <laughs> he had to that wait. I would have to learn how. You got to watch the video when he actually does that. On him to depend on his wind, to depend on his spirit, not to need from the people a response in order for me to preach God's word. I'm gonna preach in a minute. He's not preaching. He's not preaching. <laughs> what is he doing? Winded, when I'm winded. I am susceptible to forms of discouragement that I don't even pay any attention to when I'm full of energy. When I'm winded, I am vulnerable to temptations that don't even incite or arouse my craving when I've got my full strength. When I'm winded, I start trying to give up on stuff that I fought the devil to get in the first place when I'm winded. When I'm winded, I start thinking crazy stuff. When I'm winded, I don't even know if I can sit here with my family, even though I know I love them, but I don't know how to be present because I'm in three places at once. I'm winded. And watch this. It's not that everything that's happening in my life is bad. 
what they just saw Jesus do was amazing. And they're not complaining, but they are human. I want you to write something down. You haven't written anything else down tonight, and if you don't write anything else down, you need to write this down so you can have some notes from tonight to prove that you came here. Mark, write it down. You haven't written anything down. <laughs> the Holy Spirit does not consult human schedules. Mm. It's true. Where's that I know you don't want to hear that again, but I'm going to say it again. The Holy Spirit does not consult human schedules. Jesus did not turn to the disciples after the feeding of the 5,000 and say, Y'all feel like uh, making a little trip? Make a little trip? <laughs> it wasn't any RSVP. It wasn't any kind of, it wasn't really, what, look how the Bible says it in verse 22. Yeah, let's I'm look sure at that. Because y'all got Jesus in your head way too soft. Mm. I'll show you. Verse 22. Put on screen, y'all. Immediately, Jesus made the disciples. No church vote. Now read it backwards. No sabbatical. Jesus said, get in the boat. I'll see you on the other side. And that's it. But that's not it. That's it. <laughs> but there's more to that verse. So, famously, is that it? He sends them into a a storm. Do you want to stop? Yeah. So a point he makes is you make Jesus softer than he really is. And so he kind of shows that Jesus is more like a slave dri slave driver at this point or an emphasis towards it. Right. Am I mishearing him incorrectly? Definitely adding to what's not he made there. the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side. And the verse continues says while he dismissed the crowds. So if his whole purpose or focus is on ministry and how the disciples were tired of ministry. If that really is his focus, I think verse 22 shows there was still more ministry to be done dismissing the crowds. They could have done that. They could have helped him out, but instead he actually cares for them and sends them away. You know, so it's like it, he actually is soft. He is a, a loving shepherd. He, he tells them to t take my yoke for my burden is light, mm -hmm. right? That's Jesus's message is because it's not like he's a slave driver and forcing us to do all these different things. That's where grace comes in. But it, it, it's, he makes it seem like Jesus is a slave driver. For me, that's, that's I'm a little... But at the same time, he's very eisegesian, pretty much reading stuff into the text that isn't there. Uh, he's doing that to emphasize the point of exertion or burnout or winded, right? But again, it's stuff that isn't there, so we can't really necessarily confirm that this, if, if, because the Bible doesn't even say how tired they were. Mm -hmm. We assume that they were tired, we're reading it. either because of what just the previous miracle did or the fact that they were rowing almost throughout the whole night. Mm -hmm. And he's going to bring up the amount of work it took to actually uh, disperse the bread and pick it all back up. And again, we don't know how many disciples because there's times that Jesus had 70 disciples with him or more or just the 12. He's so just pointing to the human nature that they were still human. Yeah. And they're still, they still getting tired. But I'm, I agree. He's reading into it to make yeah. a point to his audience. And it doesn't necessarily, in the passage that we read, it doesn't necessarily say that the disciples one by one piece of loaf and fish gave to each single person individually. Mm -hmm. We don't know exactly how it happened. We know that 
Jesus, it says, Jesus, um, he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and the disciples gave them to the crowds. So we know the disciples gave them to the crowds as far as the people that were gathered there. So you, there wasn't a single crowd. There was people clumped up in several, several different groups, right? But we don't know exactly. Maybe they just gave them a basket. Yeah. So, uh, go ahead, Mark. Uh, I wanted to bring up, to me, the biggest, I guess, quote unquote, red flag that we hear here, here in this short excerpt that we just listened to. And he does this, I think, three more times I have this written down is making a bold claim or statement without any scriptural backing. Um, specifically, the quote I'm talking about is the Holy Spirit does not consult human schedules. To me, that is a very big claim. To me, if I'm if I'm a young believer and I'm trying to figure out like what is this whole Christian thing? What is the Holy Spirit? What is uh, like what what is going on here? He helps me, he directs me, it doesn't control me. To me, that would be a very confusing statement if there is no backing up with scripture. Like, I think that is something that is a big red flag because even if you agree, and in this case, I agree with him, like, I don't think he's wrong in what he's saying, but if you were to not have that biblical backing of a bold statement like that, that is how false doctrines are started. That is how false beliefs begin because a random preacher makes a bold claim about what is proper in this religion or whatever he's teaching and doesn't back it with any scripture and you as an audience member are naive and you just take it as fact because you assume the guy behind the pulpit. Well, if he's not telling me the evidence, I'm assuming he did the research and he has the evidence there, but that's a, that's a dangerous assumption to make because entire subcategories of Christianity can be started off of false claims like that. Yeah. He's trying to be very relative and really modern, I guess you could say, which can be dangerous because when you start using phrases like Christian cardio, Okay, what exactly does that mean? Is that your physicalness of you going to church, being involved with ministry? Is that your spiritual reading, praying, meditating? Or is that just, I don't know, who else, what else, mental illness? Like, what, what is Christian Carter? So he's trying to be yeah. relative, which it's ultimately it's going to, I don't want to say shoot him in the foot, but it's it's not, like you said, you can't back that up biblically. What is Christian cardio? The spirit doesn't consult human schedules. I mean, technically, yeah, you can say he's touching on the sovereignty of God, but you can't really say, find a passage in the Bible that says spirit and human schedules, like in one verse or mm -hmm, passage, mm -hmm. like that idea is not necessarily mm -hmm. there, but technically so far, I think we can agree that he hasn't necessarily said anything heretical mm -hmm. yeah, or yeah, blasphemous. Yeah, yeah, He's yeah. just very shallow and very <clears throat> self. Yeah. Kind of and not like, I do agree what he said when you are tired, exhausted, physically, you are susceptible to the devil's temptations. Uh, the message is good, yeah, I think. The message well, itself is right. not bad. Ahead. We're about to talk he's about devil's temptations. He's interpreting the passage incorrectly. Where the next part talks about devil's temptations. One last thing, uh, real <laughs> quick. He's real interpreting quick. and preaching the passage incorrectly. Since he brought yeah. up 22, I want to make mention here that Jesus had to tell the disciples to go to the other side. Otherwise, it, they would have never left Jesus alone. They didn't want to. They were with him the whole time. And so he wanted to go to the mountain, right? That was his intention. He had to tell the disciples, hey, get in the boat and go. And that's kind of what the passage is saying is he had to immediately, while he's sending the crowds away, tell them, hey, I need you to go to that other side. It's not a show of, I agree with Mark, it's not a show of that Jesus is forceful and he's he's not he's this not soft, but he's this, you know, commanding. Yes, he does have that, but that's not the intention of the There's verse. just not enough written to make a bold claim about that verse or to go off on a tangent yeah. about that verse. It's just a simple, he just told them, he to, just go. Told them to go. Yeah. Well, well I, I did check that word made um, Alex, like in other translations said constrained, constrained. And yeah. if you, 
do look up constrained, it's forcefully. Yeah. Like he constrained them to go. So I'm like, he might have like he might be on the right path, but I can't just like that say. That's but there was the a purpose. He told the disciples to go there because he wasn't going there. Right. Say he was going somewhere else. He, he knew they wouldn't go. They wouldn't. Yeah. Exactly. He, he still to made go. them. He yeah. forcefully said, "Go." One thing, kind of leading up to this, right? Why did he? Why was he alone? I just I preached the message. Um, similar on uh, earlier, Matthew 14, give you some context. Um, they, right after this, John the Baptist dies, right? Verse 13 begins. Now, when Jesus heard this about his death, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. That was his whole purpose of going there. Then the crowds followed him and he had compassion on them. He healed them. He fed them. And then he sent his disciples away. And finally he could have some alone time. Yes. Let's continue. Good point. And they have to deal with the struggle of going through something that they did not foresee. What's interesting about this room is that, I don't know if you've just been serving in this church for two weeks or somebody was over here. We were celebrating 10 years. What an amazing thing. What do you do again, Clemson? I don't remember what they said. Production. That's really cool. What? Who was it back here that was doing the data entry? Cindy. Yes, Cindy. 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 Has it ever been windy? Cindy. Cindy. Cindy windy. <laughs> and what I mean by that, let me clarify. How, let, me, let me do this for the whole room. I don't want to pick on Cindy, but we'll use Cindy for an example because it works really well phonetically. Windy, Cindy. All that. Uh, how many of y'all are greeters in the church? Isn't it fun to greet people? When it's fun to greet people? Isn't it fun to greet people when you got a good eight hours? It's all about me. Isn't it fun to greet people when God just answered your prayer? Isn't it fun to say, welcome to Elevation, when you're happy to be there too? And yet, the measure of discipleship is not the enthusiasm that you bring to a task <laughs> when the waters are still and the lake is calm and the stomachs are full. Watch this. Everybody in the crowd is leaving with a full stomach. The disciples are exhausted, <gasps> having to take the bread individually to 5,000 family units. Do you know how much cardio that involves? And then pick up all the basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. You know how big and heavy the baskets were? This is a picture of why some people leave church on Nobody Sunday. Nobody was there. To big <laughs> smiles. Oh, that was wonderful. The ones who leave early before the invitation even happens, so they don't have have to fight traffic with four cars in the parking lot while somebody's being snatched. This just us tonight. This is why I'm not putting this online. Because some people leave going, ah, that's wonderful. But sometimes you gotta leave saying, I'm exhausted. I'm excited. I'm, I'm, I'm fired. I'm tired. I'm fired. I don't know how I feel, but I want to do what you want me to do, Jesus. <laughs> Am I right about this? If I was in Don't that crowd, I'd be cheering too. Who never breathes, <laughs> you wouldn't know why. You just who never <laughs> tears. Don't trust the Christian who never comes in looking like they've been through hell. 
smelling like smoke was sent. There was a fourth man in the fire. Don't touch him. Christian has been smelling like smoke. Got it. <laughs> yeah, I wanted to point out that we're focused on the content. And Furtick, he he is very talented speaker. He can get a crowd going and he uses that to his advantage, but the content is very minimal. Yeah. Minimal misleading. Yeah. His charisma is what people are glued to. Mm-hmm. And I think this is very deceptive for a lot of people where the content could be, there could be no spiritual food there, mm-hmm. but you're, but it feels like it, it feels like it. you're drawn to it. The crowd is yelling. He's, he's raising his voice. He's making these points and like, yeah, you're all wrapped up in the moment. And that's where you got to be really careful. Well, preacher, yeah. Preaching goes the other way too, though, because there are preachers who their content is 10 out of 10. Amazing. Yeah. But if you can't, captivate your audience like and i understand there is a there is a part of the audience that like you need to be responsible for your own like wanting to hear god's word but yeah there the opposite is also true mm-hmm. you know where you might know everything but if you can't wake up your the audience who's sleeping in the in all of your rows in your church then what's the point what is what is the good of all the great things that you can preach from the pulpit if you can't captivate them yeah do you think he's got a paid hype team Yes. <laughs> no, let, let's not open. focus on him, the personality. We're here. It's so hard, though. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm winded. One thing that I wanted to point out again, he keeps on adding how tired and exhausted the disciples are when when we read the passage, it has nothing in it. Exactly. That's what we call eisegeting. Exactly. Yeah. So to exegete is to withdraw from the passage, right? You're pulling out and you're showing people what it is. But and to eisegete is to add your own meaning into the text. And when you bring up that kind of stuff over and over in the sermon, it makes it seem like you're in the scripture, mm-hmm. but really his actual time in the Bible was very minimal mm-hmm. in this whole sermon. And we're, we're not even halfway done with this sermon. And it seems like he keeps bringing up the scripture, but in rea- in reality, it's mostly just storytelling at this point. Yeah. And Agreed. up to this point, he keeps on saying that's not the main point of his sermon. So he's still getting to it. <laughs> yeah. This is, this is still, the, not this is still the intro. Yeah. Go ahead. I had to preach. I should have done some cardio for him. <laughs> this is what it really feels like to do ministry. It's like, oh, that was amazing. I'm exhausted. I feel used by God. I feel used. I feel taken for granted. That's not biblical. Uh-huh. Yeah. I know we're not going to stop. You got the we can say that about again. people, but not yeah. God. Yeah. Yeah. I got one. Watch this. I got a camera that's way better than one in your kitchen. The Lord showed me what you've been dealing with in your spirit. The Lord so I'm showed give you him. something that he gave me from my private stash. I don't let just anybody have this. Just look out for red flags like that. I already see like five. Yeah. In any, <laughs> you want to point them out? <laughs> what you it's like almost every sentence he's been saying in the last two minutes. Um, I wanted. This is kind of the big point that I took away from this sermon. I think this is the biggest red flag for me that he's almost presenting himself that he's getting extra 
biblical information from God himself. Lord told me in the spirit, he told me, he showed me this. It's almost saying like the Bible's not enough that God special, like he said, my stash, this is from my secret stash. Like he's getting extra special information that the other people in the congregation aren't getting. And that's extremely dangerous. That's yeah. where heresies and, and false doctrine comes from is that people say, oh, the Bible isn't enough. Oh, I was in prayer and God told me this. God puts, told me that. It puts the Bible on the yeah. lower base than the speaker. Yeah, because the Bible is our authority and yeah. it, his it's sermons sufficient. Are, yeah, his sermons are based off of super, uh, how to say, or divine revelation. Yeah, and the way it puts it, imagine you're in the congregation, you're looking at him, you're like, he well, he's extra special. How did he come to this conclusion? I would have never came to this. Wow. Mm -hmm. he, yeah. He's so awesome. God works through G him. God works through him. He's, he's a special person. It elevates him in the eyes of the congregation. That's and the most I, dangerous thing. Yeah. And I look at myself, I'm like, why is God not talking to me? I'm not hearing an audible voice. God's not special downloading information in my, my brain. Is there sin in my life? Why am I not being blessed? What's wrong with me? And then it creates this persona that people follow that God especially placed his grace on this leader, Stephen Furtick, Joyce Meyer, uh, anyone you can, you can name. And then that's when they get a following is that they elevate themselves above other people. So you believe in yeah. everything they say. He'll do that a couple more times. Yeah. He'll, remember, he actually said it. I counted seven times. Mm -hmm. He, he mentions how remember what he said in the revelation intro yeah. when they were talking about the cities they're, they're going to visit. He said they're they're gonna preach, they're gonna believe, they're gonna worship, and he said they're prophesy. gonna prophesy. Hmm. And I think this is where he's kind of referring that to. I mean, there is the gift of prophecy, which is you know a whole nother discussion. But what the way he's if this is what he's referring to in terms of prophesy, because he doesn't necessarily clarify. But if this is what he's referring to, then it's definitely false. What Word I, of God is final, and stay clear of any new revelations that yeah, you might hear. I wanted hear. I wanted to read uh, John Owen, Puritan, right? Yes. Let quickly. me read his, uh, this about this topic. If private revelations agree with scripture, they are needless. And if they disagree, they are false. So everything needs to be around the scripture. So everything needs to be proven. <laughs> love John. I love it. Um, one thing that I wanted to point out that was kind of cool that he did, and it only works if it done right. Sometimes people look for it is phonetically windy, Cindy. We all laughed. I'm pretty sure when he said it. It's trendy. Yeah, Catch it's like sometimes you'll hear, you'll hear sermons. I'll have three points and they all begin with the letter P, right? And then I've listened to a sermon where the two P's made sense and the third P didn't really make sense. It kind of did. It was a PH, so it wasn't really P. It was no, it, it was like, <laughs> like it was P like from psychology. His point was one thing, but the word word was like kind of on the edge, but didn't really mean that thing. And I was like, you said this, but that didn't really go along with your message. He's like, yeah. Okay, let's move on. I think I've talked about the word of God. If you miss it, that was a marijuana joke. And this Just is our volunteers. That out. <laughs> rewind it? I love this church, man. There is no place in the world like Elevation. I don't care. I don't care. Tell the devil I said it. There's no place. Next time you talk to the devil, make sure you let him. <laughs> I mean, it's, I mean, I want to say it's bad that we're laughing at this, honestly, because this is so misleading, yeah. right? This is so misleading. This, this is, 
borderline heresy right here already, saying that you speak to the devil like that. I mean, I want to say that it's heretical because scripture does not teach that. Well, he said tell the devil, so he's yeah. asking someone else to speak yeah. on his yeah. behalf. Go outside and yell really loud. Yeah. He said tell the devil. But there's another passage where he says the devil tells me, so that's a... <laughs> I don't think he says that in this video, but he I know does. what you're referring to. But... um. Uh, just does anybody know? Is there instances in Scripture besides Christ where people have direct interaction with Satan? Um, I can't think of any besides Eve. Satan himself, through demons, yes, yeah, through demons, but, but not not Satan, directly, not directly to Lucifer. Yeah, and it's usually he doesn't talk to them either. Also, quickly to note uh, before Job. Lucifer actually asks permission of God to do anything before he can yeah. even afflict Job. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, because he needs that permission. Yeah. He needs it. And even someone like that never made any address towards Satan or towards anything of like that. <clears throat> so, yeah. Big Swan. red flag. Oh, and best church on earth. Let's just get that out of the way, right? <laughs> So when they take you for granted, when they take you for granted in what you do, you know what that means? You're good. It means that you have gotten so good at what you do that you are on par with oxygen. People don't even think to thank the air. They just breathe it. When you get really good, nobody says, you showed up on time? They just assume that if you signed up to do it, when you said you would do it, you meant come hell, come high water, come storm, come wind, come if I said I would, I will. Get up and clap. Winded. <laughs> I'm so too winded to do that. that's one of my biggest goals in preaching. I want to be good enough to be taken for granted. Do we find I want to get to the point where I told somebody the other day, the proof no. that you are really preaching is they stopped thinking about preaching and started thinking about Jesus in the middle of your preaching, that the Holy Spirit was speaking to them so much that you just became a ghost in a black hoodie. Nobody even cared who you were at the end of the night. It was the Holy Spirit speaking to their soul. And yet the challenge of this that if we're honest, a lot of the times as we are moving and maneuvering through the demands of our life, it is very difficult for us between breaths to see the big picture of all that God is doing, but I'm going to help us with that. If you came in winded, spiritually, and, and this could be from the long marathon Many of you aren't winded because of your role in the church. I understand that. Many of you, that's, that's, your, that's your happy place. That's the one time in the week where you feel like, man, this matters, and, and I love this. Not very convincing. <laughs> I kind of floated that out there. Huh? Man. I, 
See, I know what you, I know what you're thinking because you're like, yeah, yeah. I'm happy to be here. I'm really glad to be here. No sooner do they get in the boat than they feel the wind is against them. Back to the For text. All of you Christians who try to prove that's not in the text. that you are in the will of God by the absence of contrary wind. In other words, we think that everything God gives us to do, the proof that He called us to do it, is. Sorry, I'm not focused on that one part. He said, uh, Christians will think that they're in the will of God contrary to the absence of wind. I don't think that's very biblical. As if wind will always be present. Yeah, you're meaning of God. He's, he's trying to emphasize the point that um, if you're if, not struggling, if, if you're not struggling, you're not doing God's will. Which, yeah, that's not, that's not biblically accurate. We don't always see uh, Christian figures in Scripture struggling. Which is the second time he brings that up because he does go on that little tangent about don't trust a Christian who isn't crying. Don't trust a yeah. Christian as if like doesn't it's innately, smell like smoke. Yeah, it's innately like you're supposed to suffer as a Christian. Which again, like you there said, are trials. There right. are trials. Yeah. Trials is different, right? But well, he's trying to make, well, what he's trying to make a point is that just because you're having struggles doesn't mean it's not God's will. I think that was his point. That like just because if 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 God says this is where you should go, you don't expect smooth sailing. There's gonna be wind coming at you. I think that was the point he was making. But it doesn't mean you're going the wrong way. Yes. Yeah. So it's a it's a crafty statement, which yeah. You have to be very cognizant. And uh, like you said, Mark, it doesn't say that as soon as they got into the boat, it became windy. Verse 24 says, but the boat was already many stadia away from the land, which was, which means that the waves started battering after they were away from the land mm -hmm. a certain amount. This wasn't immediate. So he brought that up going back to the scripture, but it, it doesn't really say that. Mm -hmm. In other words, we think that everything God gives us to do, the proof that He called us to do it, is that it's easy. It said from the moment they set out, the wind was against them. But it doesn't say, it doesn't say that. The crazy thing is, if they would have turned around and went back, the wind would have been blowing for them. Mm, Good point, but that's not what it says. Well, no, physics. He's getting there. They're clapping, but they don't realize he's going to twist it on Because I had a word from God. There it is again. That he said he expected to see me on the other side. You can probably stop it there. So he kind of did say they could have turned around and the wind would have been with them. But it clearly does, and I think that's a good point that he makes because Jesus told them to go, so they couldn't go around because they'd be disobeying what Jesus told them. Mm -hmm. Yep, good point. And I don't know if his him saying God told me to go on the other side. I don't know. I don't think he's referring to himself. Yeah, he's, he's referring, referring to, to the, the disciples. disciples. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, I, one thing, good thing to do also is, especially if you're reading in the Gospels. You, you can look in the other gospels and see um, passages that talk about the same thing and it can give you a better idea of what was actually going on because it says um, in John 6:18 the sea became rough because a strong wind was blowing so that was it's not like all of a sudden um, as soon as they got in the boat it was rough it became rough and then I think there was another passage that says 
Uh, never mind. I'll, that's for a separate thing that he's going to talk about. We've been out here an hour, and this wind keeps. We've been out here two hours. It's already late. The whole reason that the disciples wanted to send the crowds away in Matthew 14 when the hunger arose is because it was already late. So now imagine it was already late when they started feeding people. Do the math on how long it takes to get food distributed to 5,000 family units. And now we got to go three more miles. And they do against the wind. Well, here comes Jesus. And did you notice that the Bible said he came about dawn? Or more specifically, verse 25. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them. I'm gonna ask a question and it's not rhetorical. Why did he wait so long? He's praying in the mountain. You're like, he didn't know they were in trouble. Can't be asking that. It's Jesus. And he was on a mountain so he could see them and oh. see. <laughs> Not praying, though, because that's what the Bible says. Why did he, he was praying for he them? He was up there on the mountain praying for them. I agree with that. Well, Maybe it says was. he was praying, but it doesn't say he was praying for them. Yeah, but at this point, but I could use Jesus as a 13th rower. Because y'all know Judas wasn't rowing anything in the boat. Judas back there. I, I laughed out loud when he said that, yeah. actually. It's good to put some humor in a sermon. What do you guys think? Sometimes. As long as it's biblical, you can say he wasn't rowing. Moment before the darkness goes away. So that they can have trouble recognizing him because the sky is not illuminated. So that they would have to trust him by faith based on. Not what they saw with their eyes, but what they heard with their ears. And Peter, Peter goes, I want to do that. Peter just has to be different. It's not enough just to fall in line and row. Peter does good. He starts walking to Jesus in the direction of Jesus. I don't know what kind of encouragement is going on. Jesus tells him to come. I don't know if he reinforced that over and over again. The text doesn't say. It could be that this is all Jesus said and that Peter had to go off of that for the entire journey. I do know that Jesus wasn't exactly close to the boat because if he had been close enough to the boat, they would have recognized him as Jesus and they wouldn't have said, if it's you. So I know it's some distance and Jesus is coming up from some distance and Peter's moving toward him for a long time. We don't really know how many steps he took. But he famously fell. And that's what the Lord wants to speak to us about tonight. Can you pause? He, he, he skips over the part, uh, which I think is, is very, very important, where Peter says, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Mm -hmm. This is not Peter. From what I'm hearing here, it's as if Peter saw and he's like, oh, I want to, like he said, I want to go do that. I want to do that. That's yeah. not what Peter said. Yeah, and it's very, point. very important we pay attention to that. He made it seem like this was Peter's, like, 100% his desire, purpose, will, like, whereas the actual text, the Lord commands him. Like, he, he's asking him to tell him to come, you know? He's asking Christ to do that, not him, mm -hmm. which focuses on the human, not on Jesus. I'll, what I'll give him, he... I like how he said the text does not say this. The thing know? I was going to bring that yeah. up because he says that. Yeah. But then the whole sermon is 
making points about stuff the text doesn't well, say. Well, if, if you so play the like, last two minutes, it's like, wow, he's a pretty good preacher. Yeah, yeah. Like the way, uh, like I'm saying, we're talking about types of sermons that we should watch out for. That's actually a good sign, not what he's, you know, what Yosha said, but like a, a good preacher should not read in too much into it. Mm -hmm. If what he said, we pull that out, that's actually good if you hear a preacher say that. Yeah, there's a con a principle of biblical background, right? Yeah. Con historical context, it's one thing. But what he's doing here is is playing ICG, just reading his own thoughts into what is not in the scripture mm -hmm. to drive a point. Yeah. Good. Um, not really, but yeah. To me, that's, I, I just, I want to emphasize that point again. I'm sorry, because the fact that you're acknowledging that you shouldn't read into the scripture because we don't know for sure what's going on here. But if the whole sermon is based on yeah. reading too much into the scripture, mm -hmm. guys, that is a big red flag. Yeah. Like all your own thoughts aside about what this sermon means, the lesson, the motivational speaking, all that stuff. Cool. But when the preacher is literally acknowledging this is something we should not do, but then bases mm -hmm. the sermon on what we should not do and he admits it in the sermon, that is a big yeah. red flag. Because he says at the very beginning, why did God, why do you want me to call this winded? Because when the boat was, when the wind was against the boat, if his entire sermon is based off that one verse where it says the wind was against the boat and he titles it winded, that's completely reading into it mm -hmm. because he, that's not what yeah, it says. He contradicts himself. Like mm -hmm. the other statement he said, I don't want people to see me up here. They want, I want them to see a ghost and they want I want people to see Jesus. Jesus. He says that, but he doesn't act. But then he, he talks but, about himself. Yeah. The way he structures his sermon, it kind of contradicts what he is intending to say. Yeah. One thing that uh, stood out for me too is he says, why did Jesus show up at the time that he did when it was dark so that they couldn't rely on his, um, they couldn't recognize him, but rely on his words. But verse 26 clearly says that they saw him. So it was visible enough for them to see him. Why were they scared? Because they wouldn't thought. you be scared if there was a man walking on water? They thought it was a ghost. They probably didn't recognize it was Jesus right away. But one thing that Jesus does say is for them to calm down. Um, yeah. Well, here, it, I think the way it's written, I want to say, makes it sound like they saw the man, Jesus, because that's who we're reading about. Mm -hmm. Now, did, yeah. did they personally actually identify him? identify him as such? I, it, so, it sounds like it's a no. That's, mm -hmm. what it sound, that's why they were so scared. And that's why... Peter asked the question, Lord, if it's really you. If it is you, yeah. yeah. So it sounds like they didn't recognize him. Yeah, but I don't think that's why specifically he chose that time of night just so they could yeah, listen yeah. and correct, hear. Correct, 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 yeah. So, all right. I is right there in verse 29 where Peter got down out of the boat, walked on water, came toward Jesus, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. Oh, you have little faith, he said. Why did you doubt? Now, that's a complicated question. Why did you doubt? It's not easy to explain the reasons that we begin to doubt what God has called us to do. It's not as easy, you know, people will give you simplified solutions for spiritual struggles, just trust the Lord and stuff like that. What about the trauma? 
that makes it hard for me to trust anybody, especially a God that I can't even see. And when you tell me to trust the Lord, how do I know that it's him that I'm trusting and not just my idea that I had when I stepped out in faith? That is a very complicated question. Why did you doubt? Did somebody else's voice get in his head? It's a very complicated… One thing that we talked about was like he knows all the answers and the crowd is completely dumb and clueless, right? But I, I just heard in the crowd two times, help us. Who are they calling out to? Are they calling out to Furtick to help them understand the passage because they, with their own comprehension, can't? That's just what it seems like to me. Sorry. Go ahead. I mean, he is correct about saying doubting is a very complicated mm -hmm. thing. So yeah. he does. We'll give him that. Yeah. A complicated thing to describe your insecurities to somebody. A lot of people look at you, how handsome you are, how beautiful you are, how strong you are, how gifted you are, how talented you are, how, uh, 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 what's the word? It means like uh, bubbly your personality is. What's the technical word? Effervescent. Effervescent. Oh. <laughs> is that right? Effervescent? And they look at you and they're like, she's so effervescent. If I had her effervescence. Oh man, Cindy, she's just so strong. Cindy is so steady and so consistent. But it gets it gets windy for Cindy too. Why did you doubt? Why were you having a conversation with yourself this week? Does it even really matter? what I do? And does anybody really care that I do it? And am I even really good at it? You can get quiet. The Holy Ghost told me this message, so I'm not, I'm, I'm not confused about it. I know. Red flag. And meanwhile, the devil tells me the same stuff. So I know what that feels like. Devil tells him the same stuff. I know exactly what that feels like. The temptations. Yeah. I can't tell you exactly why I get in that place. I can't tell you exactly all of the psychological and neurological factors. I don't know all the things that accumulate in one's life to bring you to a point where you begin to doubt. When you're doing so good, you know, really staying on top of it, really doing good with the diet, really doing good staying clean, really doing good. I'm going to confess the word. I'm going to think positive. I'm going to have a Bible reading streak. I'm going I'm to do it. I'm going to do it. It's really hard to understand what goes wrong in those moments when you sink. So rather than answer that question, which is never explicitly answered in the text, why did you doubt? probably because it's far too complicated to be included in this simple story. I want to answer a simpler question. And instead of asking why did he doubt? I want to ask the question when did he doubt? Help us. The answer is in verse 30. But when he saw the wind. There is nothing in this text that indicates that the wind got stronger at this moment and knocked Peter off of his balance. All right, man. From all appearances, the wind was blowing at the same velocity as it had been blowing the whole time he stepped toward Jesus. 
and he's walked a long way against the wind. Sorry. It doesn't say when the wind picked up, Peter fell. It doesn't say when the wind gained and started to gust and thrust with momentum, Peter fell because the wind got so bad. It doesn't say when the circumstances got worse, Peter's faith weakened. You know, actually, a lot of times when the circumstances get worse, that's when our faith actually locks in and gets stronger because now I know I need God and I can't play around. Now I'm getting to the place of realizing that if I don't have Jesus, I'm going to sink out here. No, no, no. It wasn't when the wind got stronger that Peter fell. It said when he saw the wind. The same wind that had been blowing against him the whole time, it was still blowing. But for so many steps, he wasn't paying it any attention because he was locked on Jesus. For so many steps, he wasn't paying attention to how the waters move him. To so many, he wasn't paying attention to how it was rocking this way or that way or the waves. He wasn't paying any attention to that. The wind didn't pick up. His focus changed. I want to say, I don't think he's really saying anything wrong per se. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. His idea is biblically correct, right? Fix your eyes on Christ, right? And don't let the distractions kind of waver you. Mm -hmm. Right, temptations. So biblically speaking, his the message he's portraying is for the most part accurate. If the whole sermon was what we just listened to, like just more of that, I think it would be very, very like I think it'd be a good sermon, you know, because he's would, not stretching too far. I would say it's heavily fluffed. It is, it is. It is. It's very fluffed. But for the most part, he is I mean, this is the most like consistent following the text that he's done this whole sermon so far. Yeah. Like he actually went through what almost three verses, two verses props like back to back to back, you know, and he would read part of it slightly expound uh, extent, like open up on it, kind of make it maybe quick, do a quick generalization or quick, quick example. Then he continues to read and he continues to read. So I'm, he, I, he is consistent because he did tell us that this is the focus of yes, the sermon yes. at the very beginning, which yeah. is what I was saying. So. He is really good about that, that like, like you were saying about the phonetics and everything, like he is very, he's a master at planning out the sermon and the speech and just everything that he says is very tied in. And you feel like there is truly a through line, whether, whether there really is or not is a whole different story. Cause I know he's so kind the, of all over the place. The 35 minutes was a buildup to yeah. this. I was just mm -hmm. going to say yeah, yeah, yeah. 36 minutes in and we're only now getting to the point in mm -hmm. the sermon. Can you stop at 3707? That's like in seven seconds. Yep. <laughs> 10 seconds or 15. His eyes shifted. He started looking past the one he was walking toward. And when he did, he saw the wind. When did Peter fall? When did? Yeah, that's when it, he kind of makes a shift. Um, also kind of cool, right? It's almost like, wow, I never even thought of that. That connection. When, when did, right? Um, he himself specified that the sermon, this is the main part of the sermon. So I think it should be titled when did W H E N mm -hmm. space D I D. If that is the main sermon, um, titling it winded when that's just a, a buildup to your sermon. Um, I don't agree with that, but I guess he just wanted to make it catchy. Uh, going back to one of the things that he, he kind of just strays away from this text at this point. So that's why I wanted to talk about some of the things about that. It says when he saw another thing he could have added to it. He, it doesn't say 
Like, right, when we look at a passage, we see what does it say and what does it not say. Right. It does not say he felt the wind. Um, he, it doesn't say that he felt the water or anything like that, but clearly he saw the wind. So he saw the results of the wind outside of himself, either directly on Jesus, because Jesus was not only uh, lifting him up to, go, to provide him to walk on the water, but he was in there with him. So it's not like, you know, he's completely untouched. The wind is also buffeting Jesus as well. So that could be something else that he could have talked about is maybe he was looking at Jesus, but he saw that he realized what a situation that he was in. And he, instead of continuing to focus that Jesus is holding him up, he was like, we are both in this together and we're going to sink. Maybe he came to the realization. He's going to point out here and real quickly that Jesus was there right next to him. Um, but yeah, this whole point he makes an emphasis on when did. Um, I think Jesus, he specifically says, Jesus asks why, but that's a hard question to answer because it's not written, but I'm going to focus on something on that's already written when, but Jesus isn't concerned about when Jesus is concerned about why. And I think that kind of leads away from the main message that could be said, why it's because of sin. It's because of fear within me. It's because of doubt. It's my fault. Right. But when is different and it's, there's no um, responsibility regarding when, but there is in why. Yeah. That shift, it makes sense for his topic. Yeah. That's pretty much where expository preaching, what you said, that's where you are faithful to the text. Mm-hmm. This is where you can easily shift your focus and go to another direction when you're mm-hmm. topical. That's where the danger comes in. I think this is a good example of the difference of these the two different styles. Well, you also see how it's very play on words. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So. When did. So good. When did. Excellent. You start focusing on all the things that are going wrong so much that you forgot that God brought you from a mighty long way. When did you forget that his blood prevailed at Calvary that one drop was enough to come? When did you When did you become one of these hand-in-my-pocket Christian? You used to be wild. You used to be a worshiper. You used to be like David. You used to be undignified. You used to cry when we sang about the goodness of God. When did... Maybe he got tired out there. It's hard walking on the water. It's hard keeping your focus. I've been rowing all night. I've been feeding people I didn't plan to have come over. I've been smiling at people who came in grumpy. I've been trying to be nice. I've been trying to be kind. I'm winded, winded. Wow. Your feelings. I'm not picking on Peter. Man, it's hard enough for me some weeks to get a haircut and pick out a shirt and get up and grab a microphone and preach. So God knows I love him for trying. But when he saw the wind, it, it, what, 
it wasn't like it just started at that moment. Ah, that would make sense. But you've been doing this the whole time. We'll walk you through it sometime. We'll walk you through those moments where you quit caring. We'll walk you through those moments where you started believing. I was writing in my journal one day, and the Lord gave me something very powerful and painful to hear. He said, you stopped believing that your faith can change situations. Now you use it as a coping mechanism. And you don't put your faith on stuff like you used to. When did? When did? Why did he doubt? I don't know. I'm not Peter. Only he can answer that. I don't know when did. I don't know why did Peter doubt. I know when when he did. When he started looking at what was against him. But Christ wants to know why. Am I talking about Peter? He's talking about application. Or am I talking about you? Wouldn't it be foolish for you to get fixated on all of those who didn't love you and not receive from those who do? When did you get hard-hearted? You used to be open. You, you, you used to pray for other people. You used to do that. And you know what? When you prayed, you expected something to happen from it. You checked up on it. You were texting them ten minutes later. Did it happen yet? Okay, I'm gonna pray more. Did it? Okay, I'm gonna pray in tongues. Did it happen yet? When did you stop being that little girl? You used to sing to Jesus. You used to sit in your room and sing to Jesus. Devil stole your song because you went in a storm. Blame the devil. Mm. When did? It's just a question. When did you take your eyes off of what Jesus was moving you toward and start only thinking about what was coming against you? Hey, reality check. When did Jesus know there was going to be a storm? When he told them to go. He knew exactly what these fools were about to face. <laughs> Nah, he's not shocked. Hey, hey, everybody in here is struggling with. Well, I don't know if God can use me because I've been I've been struggling with some stuff in your life. Well, let's get that figured out. Let's don't just have you wallowing around in sin, just wrecking your life and all that. But hey, 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 when did God set you apart? Before you were born. Predestination. Know it. One Bible verse I would like you to learn is in the book of Romans, the New Testament book of Romans. It says, While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I'll play another second. Another 15 seconds. Yeah. So if he called me Jeremiah 20. 1 6 and set me apart from my mother's womb, and then he saved me while I was still a sinner, why would he stop using me now just because I struggle with something? Stop it there. So, this is probably the other uh, scriptures, the only other scriptures yeah. he's used yeah, in this I, entire, I made a note of that. entire sermon. Romans and Jeremiah 1. 42 in. So, 
and he doesn't even directly quote them. He just like in passing, yeah. he mm-hmm. smushes those two together to make a point that you are chosen almost like about election salvation yeah. and one, nothing to do with this. One of the flaws effect. with that is um, why would he stop using me now if I still struggle with something? So he's, he's saying God chose you um, before you were born, right? He brings these up and then he says, if you're currently in the middle of a struggle, why would he stop using me now, God, if I still struggle with something? And I, I think that kind of shows like, if you're still struggling with sin, if you're, if you have this sin in your life and you keep doing it over and over again, just continue to serve God and he will help you out. It's like, no, don't just like continue to serve, drop what you're doing. You know what I mean? Repent, call out to him, ask for help. It's a, a grievous thing, but he's just like, keep going along the way. Hopefully someday God will fix it for you. True. Well, you does, could take, you could take the other side too. He does point out though, that, yeah. well, no, let's stop and let's figure that out. Yeah. So he does, he doesn't say okay, just I keep going. I didn't hear that. It, it's very brief, but he okay. does say yeah. like, well, we should acknowledge that and let's do something about it. Okay. About but thing, he yeah. does like, it's very quick. And then he keeps going on about how, you know, if God called mm-hmm. you. It sounds like he's, uh, the way he's portraying it is not necessarily false, but at the same time, right? Because biblically speaking, yeah, you can say that like, okay, well, think back. This is more of a con- counseling, right? Think back of when this happened. So you, and the reason you do that is you can get to the bottom of the why, because the bigger question is not so much as when as is the why, but it seems like he's completely brushing that under the rug saying like, yeah, why it's it's there, but let's get back to the when and just get back to that. Because it's when did, because he's, because he says when did, but he also says like, why did, when was it when the devil took this away from you? And I think this is something me and Allah were talking about was there's this uh, punting it off to the devil, Mm -hmm. right? Blame someone else for my mistakes or my faults when it's actually my own indwelling sin. So the person is not looking internally and comparing himself between the word of God and saying, I need to repent. I need to turn to God away because what I'm doing is wrong. But it's like, when did this happen? When did the devil take this away? Okay, I remember that. Now I remember what I used to be like, a good Christian boy. Now I have to continue doing this way. There's no repentance. Exactly. And this is where the feel good preaching mm-hmm. really shines through where, like you said, putting off the blame and you just getting back to doing what you were doing before. Motivate, yeah. Yeah. encourage. Christ wants to know why, because that's the core of the issue. No convictions. Yeah. No convictions about your own personal yep. sin. Well, and even the correction that he is implying we should partake in is very minimal and it's very acts based because the, all the examples he brings up of like, when did you stop singing like a little girl at church, you know, all proud and loud? Like, when did you stop, you know, having faith in the fact that your prayers can work? All the examples he brings up, he makes it seem as if like, if I only started doing that again, all my problems are solved. Mm-hmm. And again, yeah. you guys, you guys hit it on the, hit the, the nail on the head because that's completely avoiding the actual issue here, which is we're all sinners and we need salvation. We need a deeper cleansing. It's not just as simple as I used to be more passionate about greeting and now I'm not passionate. So I need to start being more passionate again. That's good. Yeah, you should. But the real issue is a deep rooted sin inside of us. And he kind of glosses over that with just some casual example. Yeah. His point is that you used to be so passionate. You lost your focus. You turned and you saw the wind. Mm -hmm. He's saying, turn your focus back onto Jesus. That's going to be his point in the next few seconds. Mm. So like, I don't disagree with a lot of points that he made, 
Mm-hmm. Like it's not like it's heretical, mm-hmm. but the way he like I agree with you guys, the way he structured it. That's not the it, main point of the passage. Right. It's it's very interesting, and he actually nails some of the points head on. Right. That it is we do see when, but what's important, what Christ is asking, is why, and it goes unanswered. But that is the most important question in that confrontation with Peter. You know what else I never I never really realized? Man, I love the Bible. I think Agreed. I never think I'd probably that. like preach this this Bible story once a year and see if God will show me something new in it. Because I never thought about how far Peter came before he fell. How did I miss this? How could I really you read your Bible? It's in the text, y'all. In verse Verse 31, immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. We have already established that Jesus was at a far enough distance where they could not see him except through his silhouette. You mean to tell me Peter got all that way? The Bible didn't say when he cried out, Jesus ran over and picked him up. <laughs> I'm coming, Peter. <laughs> no, the Bible said immediately. Peter was within arm's reach of Jesus. And you want to fall now? You are this close to your breakthrough? You are this close? To be in the person, God, you are this close to your freedom. You are this close to your kids turning around and coming back to God. You are this close to your miracle. Ah, no, I didn't come this far to fall down now. So it taught me a lesson. It taught me the times when I'm tempted to look away are going to be the times when I'm closest to where God is bringing me. The Spirit says, you're close. Keep coming. You're close. Keep coming. You're closer than you think you are. You're closer than you've been before. You're closer than my Hammond B3 organ. You're closer than you've ever been. You can't go down now. You can't tap out now. You can't die now. You can't turn around now. There's nothing to go back to. Our church had a high scene. I'm close, baby. That's why this wind is blowing so hard. The enemy knows I'm close. You're close. I don't know who this is for, but you're close. You're so close. You are so close. But you've never been further. See, the Bible says that they worshiped him when he got in the boat and the wind died down. And that's one way to do it. Oh, God, I'll worship you when this battle is over. Oh, God, I'll worship you when I'm done with this situation. Oh, God, I'll worship you when you restore the relationship. But why not worship him while you're still in it? When did you praise him? In the middle of the storm. When did you praise him? In the middle of the night. When did Paul and Silas start to sing? 
When did you start shrinking down your God to the size of your problems? When did you start telling your, 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 all of your problems? When did you stop telling your problems how big your God is? Just telling God all the time, oh, my problems are so big. Oh, my bills are so bad. Oh, my cholesterol. Oh, God. You can list that all day. Or you can shift your attention back on Jesus. I feel a shift happening in this room tonight. It's a subtle shift, but it's a saving shift. It's a small shift, but it's like a rudder. It's going to turn the ship back in the right direction. Hallelujah. So, so, so Jesus gets in the boat. How many want him in your boat tonight? Come on, I want him in my boat. I want him in my boat. I want him in my boat. He's not going to come if you golf clap. You got to really, really want him in your boat. You got to want him in your boat. You got to want him in your boat. Oh, God. Oh, God. So. It's a good place to stop. <laughs> oh, come on. I was just getting into the hype. Yeah. So, like, that almost seems to me like somewhat of an altar cult, <laughs> whatever you want to call it. Yeah. But the gospel is missing. There's no Jesus. 100%. There's no conviction of sin. Um, none of that. I know that the audience is... Um, church members or whatever, the volunteers, but like what we're taught and what we all believe is that gospel needs to be preached to us, even mm -hmm. believers every day. And that, what I feel is very missing from the sermon. It's always like he used that word winded, when did, and then he <clears throat> used that word to get all these points across it for motivation's sake. Like you're so close to the miracle. You're almost there. Your kids are about to come. He provides all these motivational things, and it's almost like works. Like, you gotta keep going. You gotta keep doing. You gotta keep working. You're almost there. Don't stop. And it's almost like a pumps you up. The music goes in to, for what? What's the ultimate yeah. solution? You know? I it think, doesn't give you that. I think he does a lot of very indirect um, application. One thing, he does this with pretty much every passage he's read immediately right he says jesus was right there immediately he pulled it out you were close so his main focus right now is on you are close it's not that jesus is close, close to you yeah. you are close you are so close and it like you said it's empowering i wrote here in my notes paul washer would have said you are a hopeless wretch and he still holds you up right <laughs> but he's like but you're so close you got this you're almost there elevates you yeah, your, Over your efforts, yeah. your your works, your efforts, your, you saving yourself pretty much almost. Like you have to grab hold to Jesus' hand and instead of him being there to pull it. But, but <clears throat> uh, it does kind of bring up the point, like I just want to quickly cross-reference is that um, it's not so much as how far out Peter walked, right? That's mm -hmm. not the point that it's not, that's not what brought him closer to Christ, right? Because... Uh, David, in, even in his Psalms, he writes, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. So Christ is always next to us. He's always ready to give us that immediate help as long as we recognize. It's not like we have to walk a certain distance before we come to Christ. And if then we start having issues, only then we're actually near him because we walk that distance first, right? That's not, that's not biblical teaching. Yeah. There's a lot of theatrics 
all the oh yeah right here especially this all moment. the organ he calls out b minor or whatever and he's like going for it knowingly one thing for me is there's there's a lot of stuff that he says and we haven't we haven't really kind of covered a lot of it but he'll say certain little things but what does that mean like okay if your whole point is to explain the passage what does that mean what does it mean if jesus is in your boat he says because he says um do you want Jesus in your boat? I want Jesus in my boat. So why should I want Jesus in you my boat? You gotta want him. Why boat, should I yeah. want Jesus in my boat? What does that mean? What is a boat? Like what is that saying? He just says it with no context. And then he's just like, he's not coming. If you go, if you golf clap, you have to clap louder than that to work up the crowd. Yeah. Yeah. And one thing maybe you guys missed, maybe you didn't. I have this in my note when he was talking earlier, said the spirit says, you're close. Keep coming. He's almost, uh, this is not the first time, but he said, the Lord told me, or he's almost like yeah. saying this he's, is coming he's ta- from above. I missed that. He's, spe- he's speaking on behalf of the Holy yeah. Spirit, but the Spirit, Jesus himself, the word doesn't say you are close. Yeah. But he's saying that the Spirit is saying you are close. Yeah. And that God so is almost speaking that's through That's blasphemy. Him. Yeah. Which I was just going to say, like, this is the part where he kind of is borderline and one can argue being blasphemous, right? So it, um, this is, but of course, all of that's kind of, I don't want to say muddied, but you can't really just catch that unless you're listening for it because I mean, one huge buildup. And like I mentioned before, like he builds himself up, not just with the storytelling and everything, but he kind of uses a little bit of credibility and trustness to build up by using um, you know, saying things like saying exegate or exegy and mm-hmm. this is not in the text and this is in the text and the Lord told us. So he kind of builds that trust. Yeah, he clearly knows what's in the text. Exactly. And he, he makes it sound like he actually knows. I, I'm pretty sure what he's doing is not out of ignorance. And there's some things that I, th- I feel like completely got undermined. Not not so much because, again, not so much as verdict, but if the sermon out of itself, he said that when did you forget that the blood of uh, the, a drop of Jesus was enough. A drop mm-hmm. of his blood was a single enough. drop. One, yeah. A single drop, which we don't find any biblical evidence for a single drop. Like their death had to be performed. Yeah, not just a drop. A death had to be performed. Yeah, it, cleansing is from the blood, and we re- reread that in Hebrews. But yes, you are right. It's not like Jesus could have gotten a scratch, and then we would have all been yeah. saved. There's no he point. Would have never died. I think yeah. something to point out. Um, because again, if we're going to be doing this these sermon reviews on a regular basis or something. Again, we are trying to teach, or I mean, I don't even want to say we're trying to teach you guys, but we're just trying to express some of the things that we are aware of when we listen to sermons as well, as well as you should be the listener. Because again, some of these things might not even be necessarily bad to do in a sermon because I am I can think of my own pastor, that I, the church that I go to, and he does some of these things too. He'll bring up random examples and not fully explain what's going on, you know? And on one hand we say, okay, well that's wrong to do. But on the other hand, I know my pastor does that. So is it wrong? That's the point is, I don't think it is wrong. The point is you as a listener, you need to be able to open up your own Bible. You need to be able to listen to the sermon and discern for yourself is what he's saying real? Is it true? Is this something that is he he is stretching out? Is he, is he making something up? Is this biblically sound? I trust my pastor. If he makes a bold statement and he doesn't necessarily whip out a Bible text to back it up, that's it's okay. Yeah. Because I trust him and I know for sure 
this is very important for those preachers or those sermons that you're listening to where you're not a hundred percent sure of the stance of that person, well, of that preacher. I don't think but it's even, just the stance. Even even then, even with your own local pastor, I think it is important for you to always make sure that you are backing up whatever he is saying to a T, because again, at the end of the day, you are held accountable for what you believe in, not what he believes in, not what any pastor believes in or any preacher. But that's exactly what we're trying to express here, that there's certain aspects of sermons that we should be, as listeners, aware of and acutely focused on. If you hear something new you've never heard in your entire life, mm -hmm. don't believe it. Test it. Yeah, yeah. If you hear him say something that's biblically true, but he doesn't provide passages for it, you understand what he's talking about, mm -hmm. and and you can see, okay, yes, that does make yeah, yeah. sense. That I think that's just a good principle. If you don't, if you if you've never heard it before, test it. Okay. Mm -hmm. There's about 12 minutes left in the sermon. Uh, let's see if we can do it without stopping till the end. But I think we might cut it early because it gets a little interesting and in, at the end, not in a bad way, but just different. All right, all right. So, so if this word is for you, receive this next part. When did the disciples know why Jesus sent them into a storm? It doesn't say. When they got to the other side. <laughs> I mean, Let me be your pastor for a moment. <laughs> it won't make sense until the other side. I'm almost statement. done. Give me verse mean? 34. When they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country. People brought all their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak. And all who touched him were healed. When did they know why it was important to get through the storm? You reckon it took about three healings? It says the whole city started coming to Jesus when they got there. Did it take five? Did it take ten? Do I hear twelve, fifteen? Do I have a fifteen? Do I have a twenty? I mean, you know, certain disciples probably saw it real quick. Oh, that's why we had to get here. Some of us are a little slower. How many ways is God going to have to show you? Wow, wow, wow. Wow, wow, we will. That everything He takes you through, He takes you through for a purpose. It's not false. Yeah, that, that last that concept. Yeah, that's Let everything. That has, let everything that has, if I'm still alive, if I'm still breathing, if I'm still standing, there's a reason he didn't let me go down. He's not through with you yet. If he said go to the other side, he'll meet you there. What does that mean? You've got to get through it. 
You have got to get through it. I don't know who this is for or what you've been contemplating, but you have got to get through it. You have got to press through the doubt. You have got to get through the unbelief. You have got to get through the crowd. You have got to process the trauma. You have got to move through the emotions. You have got to get through it. It will make sense on the other side. You don't know what's on the other side of your storm. Only he does. You don't know what's on the other side of your obedience. Only he does. You don't know who you told welcome to Elevation Church when they walked in Sunday. Only he does. You don't know who you gave a smile to. Only he does. Only he knows what's on the other side. Only he knows what he's taking you to. You don't know. You don't have to know. You just have to get through it. When did you stop believing that God can get you through this? Touch three people. God can get you through this. Tell them God can get you through this. And you may not even know why. You may not even know why. You may not Don't even know why I came all the way back here. Because this is Jody, y'all. Everybody say, hey, Jody. Come on, this is Jody. This is his wife, Emily. He's in the crowd. If you could see her on the camera, she, can't she looks a lot like Holly. Because they're sisters. Not only is Jody a David Crowder impersonator by day, he loves us. Sing it, Jody. He has his hand on his bald head but he is as also he's talking. <laughs> the instrument that God used after my mom taking me to church every single week as a little boy. Some plant, some water. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, when did I meet this bald beauty? When did I meet him? My junior year of high school. When did I? When did I give my life to Christ? After he sat down with me for three hours at Alex's restaurant in Monk's Corner, South Carolina. When am I gonna, hey, when am I gonna take my hand off his head when I'm dang well ready? This is my volunteer night. I only get one a year. And After answering 3,000 of my questions, I asked this man everything I could think of because I wasn't sure that the God my mom had raised me to believe in was real. She's winded. But that didn't stop her oh, from taking me to church. <laughs> then, so here comes Jody. Bum -ba -dum -ba -dum. <laughs> my man was on a traveling revival team, Life Action Ministries. He was a singer on the Life Action Ministries revival team, traveling with a revival called America, You're Too Young to Die. <laughs> Truth under God. And then 
You know this whole story? He pulled me out of church the next night. The preacher wasn't even started his sermon yet. He grabbed me. He said, "Let's go," and he sat in a room with me till two in the morning. And I told him I wasn't ready to give my life to God. I said I didn't want to miss out on my high school experience. All the girls I would have been, you know, all the, whatever. But he sat with me. He sat with me. He said, "All right." Well, I'm gonna pray. I'm gonna just pray that you change your mind. I come back to him the next night. I say, "What did you do to me?" I think it worked. I think it worked. When did? Let me ask this question. Elevation Church begin. 2006, when we had our first service. 1980, when Faith Furtick went beautiful baby boy into the world, <laughs> took him to church. Dedicated my grandfather, dedicated me and baptized me to the Lord in the Methodist Church. Yeah, that's one answer. When did, when did this church, this ministry begin? When a boy from Warner Robins, Georgia, sat down in a restaurant in Monk's Corner, South Carolina, and answered me when I said, Well, where did the dinosaurs come from? <laughs> Who asks this stuff? I did. And then I think about my mom's up there, and I think about Jody's right here, and I think about LJ's playing softly so I can start closing this sermon. <laughs> And I think about me being in the middle of y'all, even just how this feels right now. And I think about when you walked in the doors of our church for the first time. And I think about when God grabbed a hold of you and you said, you know what? I want to be a part of something bigger than me. And Oh, don't let me fall in front of 1,500 people. Help me. Dad. When did? When did? I know you. I know you feel sometimes like, man. At least I do. Maybe you're more. Maybe you're just more mature than me. I know you feel like sometimes I can't keep doing all this. It's too much. I can't keep fighting this, man. I just, I don't, I don't feel like trying today. I don't feel like being me today. I don't feel like sowing into somebody else today. But I want you to take comfort in this: that Jesus not only saw the storm before he sent them into it. He saw what was on the other side. Mm. Mm, receive that. I want you to just breathe as deep as you can, all right? I promise I won't turn it into yoga, but just breathe as deep as you can. 
God said he wanted you to catch your breath before you leave here tonight. God said. Sometimes it just knocks the wind right out of you. You can get one text, knock the wind right out of you. Winded. <sighs> but the moment that he fell, Jesus was right there, and he still is. There are miracles on the other side of this. You know that, right? They got to take Jesus to Gennesaret so he could heal an entire city. You are carrying the presence of Christ. And it's exciting, and it's exhausting, but I promise you one thing, it's worth it. Thank you for watching the Elevation Church YouTube channel. He started at eight minutes with his intro, winded, huffing and puffing. And then he says, that's not the point that he's trying to make, or that's not his example of the sermon, right? And then all the way to the end, to the last few seconds, he said, he's huffing and puffing. Not the wind I want to talk about today. I want you to have a feel about it today. Yeah. So he gave an example, huffed and puffed. Yeah. And that wasn't really what he wanted to talk about yeah. and through the entire sermon, huffing and puffing. Yeah. Good, uh, good theatrics. At least he was consistent. Um, what I did notice kind of theatrics and people are glued to him as mm -hmm. a persona. Like when he was in the crowd, everyone had their gaze and attention on him. He was standing up, had his hand on his brother-in-law's head for like a good while. I just noticed how people were just hanging on every one of his words to like, what's he going to say? And like, he says something, people are like, whoa, whoa. And they're just amazed by him. And that, that's very dangerous when you have one person that you're following. And it's very common in, um, especially word of faith and other false teachings that it's the leader and nobody really tests what he says. They don't test in the Bible like the Bereans and what we've been talking about in this podcast. They just take his word as if he got it from God. And every time he uses, God told me this, that this is what you guys needed to come here to catch your breath. God said yeah. this, the Holy Spirit said that. And then people are glued to him and they don't test it. And there's no maturity. And those people are susceptible to a lot of false teachings. Yeah. And they get a lot of feel good teaching with no convictions of sins. Yeah. Um, one of the things that kind of stood out for me was he says, when did Elevation Church began? It was when he was, I guess he claims that he was born again. Um, I'm just like thinking, is, is he Elevation Church? Is that, is. is that when it began? And if you remove Furtick, will Elevation Church continue? It's hard because you can read into it like that. Yeah. And, and I'm sure if you were to ask him, he'd say you're reading into it too much because it seems like his whole, again, we need to remember this was a message for his volunteers. Mm -hmm. So I think there is, and we see with his, the way he's talking, the way he concluded that he is definitely specifically targeting a, a very specific demographic. It's not just the casual comer of, you know, Elevation Church. This is people who are active in the church. And I think a lot of what he says is very broad in the sense where you can't really accuse him of either or. 
you know, and, and I think it's purposely done that way so that yeah. if, if you were to question him, he would just say, well, but that was just, I was just broadly explaining how e any of you volunteers, you know, the day you reach out to someone as this man reached out to me could be the beginning of something amazing. You know, he could very easily spin it in that way, which again is part of the reason why as a listener, you need to be very aware of what the preacher is saying, why they're saying it, what is, what is the thought process behind it? And again, we're going to keep saying this until the day we die. What does the Bible say about yeah. what he's saying? That's a very good point. And that's the reason why we're doing this to point out these little details that mm. couldn't be best. If I take myself back when I was an early Christian and I'd listen to this, I think I'd be motivated. I wouldn't see those red flags right away. He walks so close to the edge that like, you can't really call him a heretic on most of these things that he said. And a lot of the stuff he, he actually talks yeah. about when it's in the Bible um, is sound. Yeah. But, a lot of it is sound, but he goes so close that you can't really throw at him. And like it, it, his application he, is wrong though. Yeah. His application is wrong, but like what he says, it, it won't immediately like trigger you and shake you mm -hmm. and say, this is wrong. And you walk out. It like keeps you in the seat and it kind of like keeps you glued. It's heavily fluffed, heavily yeah. fluffed, a lot of mysticism. And I think um, one of the things for me personally is Application is important in a sermon, um, any sermon really. How do you apply this to your life? I, from listening to that message, I do not know how to apply what he said. There was a lot of direct, you're in church and then you're exhausted. What do I do? How do I apply this, right? It's like when Peter was talking to um, the people outside right after the Pentecost, they're like, what do we do? And he tells them to repent, mm -hmm. right? Repent and be saved. Um, what do I do if I'm in a winded situation? What am I supposed to do? How do I apply this to my life? Keep how walking. do I, how do I actually do this? It's just like, uh, you're close. That's all. I don't know. Keep walking, keep doing yeah. you. It's up to you. I have a question. Don't um, give up. Since we're already at two hours, like at this point, I don't, I don't see the point in rushing the, <laughs> rushing the closing here, but I have, I have a general question just about sermons, um, as a whole. Is there, and this is something that I was told a lot growing up because the church I grew up in, the preaching was subpar to put it nicely. Um, not just in the sense that it was necessarily false doctrine or something. It was just shallow. It was just shallow. And it, uh, to, I'm sorry, but the only word is it was very boring. Like there was, I, I personally felt like there was no life between the preaching. It was a lot of the context or a lot of the scripture that was being preached was just very like poorly delivered. And, and there were a lot of things that I genuinely had questions about in the sense that I disagreed with the preachers. And a lot of times when I brought up those questions to the preachers or to, to elders, to pastors, whoever, the response was, okay, but you need to just find something mm -hmm. from that sermon. Just find something, you know, that way you don't leave empty handed. Do you guys agree with that mentality that even if the sermon is... Again, I'm not talking about heresy because that's something that I think you need to just stay away from that. But if it's just a bad sermon, do you agree with the idea of like, find something to take away? Like, for example, with this sermon, I don't necessarily think that was a great sermon, but I did th the fact that he pointed out how Jesus commanded the disciples to get in the boat. That's something I never knew. Like I never, or at least I never caught it. I never understood. Like that was never emphasized to me. That's not something that stood out to me when I've read that story a thousand times. So yeah, hey, I learned something new or at least something was open to me through this word. Do you think that is something that the listeners could also take or is that kind of like a, 
that's probably bad advice. I wouldn't say it's bad advice. I mean, even with horrible preaching, there's still things you can take away, even if it's not, um, I don't want to say biblical truth, but I guess maybe this comes more of a spiritual maturity. You can take away, maybe understand something, how something can be falsely portrayed mm -hmm. and accept it as truth. You know, you can maybe learn on that front, but to say that, well, just take something out of the, out of a sermon, you know, coming from the background you came from, um, you know, I think that only works once or twice. Eventually you should be able to get to the point where you are spiritually mature and you hunger for depth, you hunger for something that's challenging and you kind of have build this desire to hear the gospel message. But if every time you're coming into a place where it's the same style, not necessarily technicality, but in terms of shallowness or even false teaching, it's constantly over and over and, the, and you confront those people and they always tell you, well, just take something out of it. There, I think is you're in dangerous waters and you probably should get out. Yeah, I would agree. Um, one of the things for me though is um, you can be misled heavily. I think one of the key points is, right? For instance, the passage that Mark was talking about where Jesus commanded them. It's a, con it's a continuation when Peter asks him, if it's you, command me. So if Jesus commanded them the first time and Peter is asking for a command, that means Peter is submissive to Christ. Also, that means that Peter was used to Christ commanding him. And then he enjoyed or he took pleasure and trusted in Christ when he was commanded to do things because he knew that when Christ commanded him, it was for his good and not for his detriment, right? There's a lot that we can actually look into. What does it mean to command? I think the less, uh, sermon that we listened to today, Jesus commanding them to go was seen in a negative light. There was no positive light shined upon it as if Jesus is the good shepherd. If he commands you to go, you better listen. Um, or you should listen and you shouldn't take joy in listening to it. Right. That's what, that's how that passage should be preached. But it was preached where Jesus is not the soft God that you think he is. He commanded them to go against their will. So it was like almost as if Jesus is a slave driver, but he's not. So I, I think you have to be very careful if now, if you um, uh, can practice discernment, um, then when you are confronted with the passage and a preacher and he starts preaching on a passage and then goes off script and is not making much sense for me personally, what I do is I'll actually continue to read that passage. There are a few things that could, he could open up that can make you understand even more, but don't take everything for granted or don't take everything that he says as gospel truth. Yeah. And I know, I mean, we're, we're a big long time. I know there's, there's a million more things we can say about this really, but really the point of this uh, long kind of episode was really, again, to be a discernment exercise for all of our listeners and even for ourselves as well. Cause it's, I'm, I'm sure it's not very often where we actually sit down and actually, I don't say critique, but take apart a sermon and try to discern what is true biblically and what is false or what is shallow, what is borderline, what is heresy and so forth and so on. So hopefully this was a good exercise for you guys. Hopefully it will be beneficial. Beneficial for me yeah. personally. Mm -hmm. for sure. I think if we ever get to do another one, one that I would like to do, if one of us, a uh, preacher um, that we ourselves respect, mm -hmm. right? Johnny Mac? Well, Steve for Mac. instance, I have a my, one of my old pastors in Florida. I really respect him. What I would like to do is listen to it, but I'm coming from a perspective of bias where it's like, 
oh, that's so good. Oh, that's so great. I want to hear what you guys think. You know what I mean? So that way I can actually make sure, am I being discerning enough? I mean, for us to do that to our own personal pastors, I think that's, um, we're not there yet. Well, he, it, he's my old pastor, so he won't take any offense. If, if you can't do it in a loving manner, I don't think you should do it. I would do it lovingly. Okay. As long as you guys just as have some as, grace. As you walk that distance and don't look at the wind and be windy. Like I asked this on the chat earlier. If we take the him as a character out, the antics, the music, the, a lot of fluff, we take the the basic sermon that he said Mm-hmm. and put it to any church that we've attended, would we find fault in it? I, hard to say. Any church we've attended. Like where we were the, members, where some a church we grew up in, like would our ears perk up to a lot of things that he said? To me from maybe 10 years ago, probably not. Yeah, so it's like really borderline. And then you could probably say, oh, he misspoke here or he didn't re- prepare and we could write off a few things like you were talking to Mark that he didn't say correctly and we kind of let it slide. Mm-hmm. So, well, well, just based on his preaching, we can see that there's a lot of like brushing under the rug kind of mentality yeah. with preaching and I'm sure that stems into ministry and maybe even families. Yeah, and like you said, this is a good exercise to literally focus on the content. Mm-hmm. Like the content here, I'll briefly go over. No gospel was presented it was missing. And that's a major part of every sermon that we should be listening. Yeah. And this is kind of what, if we continue, that's what we're going to look yeah. at. A lot of the text was misrepresented yeah. and applied indirectly. Um, so it's like you read a passage, for instance, and David did this. How am I, da- how am I David and how does this apply to me? You're not supposed to take passages and apply them directly to yourself if mm-hmm. they're not directly applying. Yeah. Now there could be some indirect uh, application but from what he brought up, I got nothing for myself personally. It's, I, it's good TED talk, self-help, feel good preaching. Where I don't know about that though. On, about the feel good part? Kind of. No, personally, right? Like um, work's a little stressful right now. This helped me none. I got little, uh, no positive outcome from this. Like as far as being but, winded and being stressed. Well, that's bias. You know what I mean? That's no, bias. I'm just saying... I did not gain anything, and I feel like because there was no actual application, but I, that's I the came. Point. That's the point. As I came much. with a burden, and I left with a bigger one because I should be doing better. But I don't know how to lift this burden already on top of well, me. That's the point of his sermon. It's self help. It's not for you to look onto Jesus and ask him for help. It's you look back to where you were and just do that again. Okay, I got it. Got it? So if you're I'm, unhappy... <laughs> I also, I don't think this sermon was necessarily for you. I don't think his preaching in general is yeah. for you, Mark. Yeah. And so yeah. there, I think there is a... He's above that. There, there's a... There's a... Steven. Like a chasm in between, you know, what you're expecting and what, what he was providing, which, I mean, there's a whole separate topic about like what level of depth a, a sermon should have or, or sh- should it be deep or not? Like... You That's know, a good point, Mark. Because I mean, there are young believers who yeah. maybe depth is too much for them, but there's, but it's also like at a certain point, shouldn't there be depth? So I think that's just a whole separate topic that you know maybe yeah. we could do a cold open on that one day. Let's go ahead and wrap up. Um, so hopefully this didn't steer anyone away, um, but only brought maybe some light to how important it is to discern good from bad preaching, mm-hmm. right? Not just preachers, but actual preaching. 
Um, I'll close in prayer. Thank you, Lord, that we were able to dedicate this time to um, listen to the sermon and that uh, you teach us how important it is for us to be discerning, to be able to pay attention to the actual messages and the words and the principles that are taught and that we can filter it through scripture, Lord. And I pray that those that might be uh, listening to this as well, that you touch their hearts, that you convict them of the importance of this, Lord, that they can go out and be firm in their faith and what they were taught and always lean on your scriptures and not on just what someone else said, Lord, that you be glorified in that. We can grow spiritually. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Thank you for joining us today. We hope God was able to reach your heart so now you can go and share it with others. Feel free to leave any questions, prayer requests, or blessings. Join us on Instagram and share our podcast to others. And remember, always keep your heart in Scripture.